Hey Misfits, I'm your host Melinda. Thank you for joining Mystery Loves Company. Now hold on to your butts as we go on another mysterious adventure. Let's see what today has in store for us. Hey Misfits, Melinda here. Today's story is about a man who goes missing after a run-in with the police. 27-year-old Terrence Williams had recently moved to Florida because his mother had just moved there. And he went there to find work as he has four kids from four different women in Tennessee, and it was getting increasingly hard to pay child support. In Florida, he found a job in construction, and he also got a second job at Pizza Hut. Back in Tennessee, Terrence had a few run-ins with the police, one of which was a DUI that cost him his driver's license. His mother was his main source of transportation. Even though he did not live with his mother, she would come pick him up from home and take him to work each day, and then take him home after work. Every once in a while, he would get rides from his roommate, but it was mainly just his mom. If he kept a straight record, he was supposed to be getting his license back in June, which was only a few months away. So in December of 2003, Terrence buys a classic Cadillac to prepare for this. For the most part, the car just sat at his house waiting to be driven. On Sunday, January 11th, some of Terrence's co-workers invited him out to a party. Terrence wanted to go, but he wanted to go home and get changed first. Like, he wanted to get out of his work uniform. Um, he tried to convince his friend and roommate, Jason, to go to the party with him so that he could have a ride. But Jason wasn't filling up to it, and he declined. So then Terrence does something super-duper dumb. He decides to drive himself in the Cadillac. Not too long after he leaves, Jason gets a call from Terrence on a payphone. And Terrence says, hey man, there are a ton of cops everywhere and I'm nervous. So I'm just going to stay on the phone with you and wait um, until all of this clears out. So once the cops were all gone, Terrence says, okay, they're gone now, so I'm going to let you go. Jason had no idea this would be the last time he ever spoke to Terrence. When Jason woke up on Monday, Terrence wasn't home, but Jason didn't think too much of it since he would sometimes stay at his mom's house or even with other friends. Jason did have some missed calls on his phone from an unknown number around 4 a.m., and when he called the number back, it ended up being one of Terrence's co-workers from Pizza Hut. She told Jason that she didn't know why Terrence was trying to call him from her phone and that he didn't actually even leave the party until between 5 and 6 in the morning. Jason figured he was probably just calling for a ride, but he must have got it figured out. On Tuesday, when Jason still hadn't seen or heard from Terrence, he reaches out to Terrence's mom to see if she's heard from him. Um, as he just feels really weird about this whole situation. 
She tells Jason she hasn't spoken to him at all, which is odd because they speak daily. So she gets a bit worried at this point. And on Wednesday, nobody heard from him still. And Jason and Terrence's mom start calling everywhere. Hospitals, jails, work, etc. When they call his work, they find out that Terrence has missed the last three shifts. Once his mom finds out that he's also missed work, she goes to the Collier uh, Police Department to report him missing. They tell her, look, he's an adult. He doesn't have to check in with you daily. If you haven't seen him in a month, come back and we'll talk. A month, a freaking month. They, they're like, oh, well, I mean, if he's been missing for a month, we'll take notice. But whatever. So at this point, mom is pissed, but she stays poised and doesn't make a scene. Instead, she gathers an army. She gets on the horn with all of their family back in Tennessee. She has all of them start calling around to the same police stations, same hospitals, same jails, and morgues. At this point, the sheriff's office decides to take this seriously due to the abundance of calls coming in. The sheriff's office sends someone to Terrence's mother's house to take a statement. And while this is going on, the army of family is still making calls everywhere, and one of Terrence's aunts finds a huge lead. She finds out that Terrence's car has been towed from a cemetery on the 12th. His car was obstructing traffic and seemed to be abandoned. When they go check out the car, they find his jacket inside and a carton of his brand of cigarettes. And this was definitely his car, but no sign of Terrence, as if he just vanished. They find out that the car was towed on the 12th around noon. This is the same day that he should have been coming home from the party. Even though the car had been towed, it appeared that the car had been abandoned because there was no incident report or arrest record to go along with the tow. So some of the family decided to go to the cemetery and talk to some of the workers and see if they remember anything. And they do. According to the employees, Terrence was with the car. They said that the police officer had his emergency lights on, but no siren, and had pulled over the Cadillac into the parking lot. From what, from what it looked like to the employees, the deputy had asked for some sort of ID, and then ended up putting this guy in the back of the patrol car. The deputy then walked up to the people working and asked if they could leave the car there for a bit, and either he would come back or he would have it towed. The deputy came back after about a half hour and moved the car from the parking lot out onto the side of the road to where it was obstructing traffic. And then he tosses the keys outside of the car and he drives away. Now, there is a witness that saw Terrence get in the back seat of the patrol car. So the family wants to talk to this officer and find out what interaction was had and where he took him. Deputy Steve Calkins is the one who took this report and called for the tow. Once this is all found out, it is actually Calkins' day off. 
So a dispatcher dispatcher ends up calling him, and according to the transcript of the call, which I actually heard while watching this story on a show called Disappeared, it's super sketchy. It says, I hate to bother you on your day off, but this woman here has been bothering us all day. You towed a car from Vanderbilt and 100. Do you remember it? Uh, no. Do you remember she said it was near a cemetery? A cemetery? No. Well, somebody is telling the mother that you picked up the driver and he's been missing since Monday. Oh, for Pete's sake. So he says he has no idea what they're talking about and the dispatcher the dispatcher just takes his word for it and tells the family what he said. He had no memory of the tow or interacting with Terrence. Terrence's mother says, you're seasoned. How can you just forget something that happened four days ago? The sheriff's office decided not to drop this complaint quite yet. On January 19th, one week after Terrence was last seen, investigators made contact with Deputy Steve Calkins, and wouldn't you know it, his memory is miraculously back. Now he states that on that afternoon, he actually saw that Terrence's car was having problems, so he pulled him over to see what was going on. So both cars pull into the cemetery parking lot, and Terrence begged him for a ride, saying he was going to be late for work. Calkin says that first he tells him, no, you just need to call a cab. But then he had second thoughts because this guy was just so polite. So he ended up offering to give him a ride to the Circle K where he worked. Now remember, he worked at Pizza Hut and he did construction, but he did not work at a Circle K. Calkins says that he dropped off Terrence because he was in a hurry, and Terrence told, told him that his registration and papers were in the car in the glove box. So Calkins goes back to the car to check, and they aren't in there. He gets frustrated because he has just been lied to, so he calls the Circle K, and they tell him that nobody by that name works there. So he now he's even more angry. So this is when Deputy Calkins says he moves the car onto the street, but didn't do it to make it look abandoned. He did it so that when he called to have it towed, the towing company would have better access to it. Okay, how, how in the hell did the deputy get his keys? Like, this isn't even looked into, like, but what, why in the hell would the officer have Terrence's car keys? This part of the story makes no sense at all. Like, I'm just, I'm sitting here wondering how this was overlooked. Like, at, at all. How, how the hell was this overlooked? If I were to get a ride from a police officer, I'm not going to just give him the keys to my car. A little sketchy if you ask me. Anyway, Terrence's mom doesn't believe this story at all. She said that his car was working just fine. She was the one that picked up the car from the tow yard and there were no problems with it. And furthermore, Terrence was not friendly with law enforcement. 
He had run-ins with the law back in Tennessee, and there is no way that he would ask a deputy who had just pulled him over for a ride instead of just calling her. The investigators that are doing their job decide to pull the security footage from the Circle K, and they should be able to see Calkins drop Terrence off on the, foot on the footage. But there is no Deputy Calkins, there is no Terrence Williams anywhere on the footage from that day. At this point, the family decides to file a complaint against Deputy Calkins. They think he is lying and that he did not follow proper protocol. So internal affairs gets brought in. Keep in mind that once the police department had to start looking into one of their own, they had already brought in the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the FBI to oversee the investigation to avoid any accusations of cover-up. Once Internal Affairs takes a look at this complaint, they are extremely unnerved because they had just closed an eerily similar complaint against the exact same deputy. Back in October, um, just three months before Terrence disappeared, another man had gone missing. A 23-year-old man named Felipe Santos, not Santos, I'm sorry, Felipe Santos was living right outside of Naples, Florida. He drove into the city each day to work his construction job. The issue with this is that Felipe was an illegal immigrant and was unable to get his driver's license or insurance. On Tuesday, October 14th, 2003, Felipe got into a car accident. His brother was riding as a passenger when the accident occurred. Felipe didn't try to run or anything like that. He actually pulled over to the side of the road with the other driver whom he hit. The other driver flagged down a passing patrol car and in that patrol car was none other than Deputy Steve Calkins. According to the driver, Felipe was put into the back of the deputy's car. This was the last time anyone would ever see Felipe again. When the family heard that Felipe had been put in uh, the car, they fully expected him to be arrested or even deported. They go directly to the local jail, but Felipe isn't there. They start asking around and trying to get some answers, but it would be two weeks before they get a copy of an incident report. On this report, Steve Calkins writes, everyone at the site was amicable. He did put Felipe in the back of his car, but Felipe was so polite that he ended up dropping him off at, you guessed it, the Circle K so that he could get a ride home. This sounds oddly familiar. Like, what is this? What's, what's up with the Circle K? Like, what's this dude's obsession with using the Circle K? Maybe it's just a convenient store. Ha <laughs> Bill. What? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. He did say, however, that he issued Felipe three citations that he would need to pay and he would need to appear in court for. They got a hold of the other driver to verify Calkins' story, and the other driver said 
Yes, Calkins did put Felipe in the back of the car, but she also said it wasn't at all amicable. She said that it was actually the deputy who seemed to be super upset and worked up over the whole incident. She said that Calkins even said something in an angry tone about being sick and tired of dealing with people that have no driver's license or insurance. Felipe's family ends up filing a missing persons report and a complaint against Deputy Calkins. They said he should have been arrested, and if he would have been arrested, we would know where he is right now and if he's safe. At this point, Felipe was not on police radar, but when Calkins issued him these tickets and he didn't show up to court, this triggered a warrant being issued for Felipe. Now he is on the police radar, so some people were looking at this as, well, of course he's in hiding. He has a warrant out for his arrest, but this doesn't make any sense because he disappeared before the warrant was issued. Internal Affairs gets involved at this point, and this is the first time Deputy Calkins has ever been investigated by Internal Affairs. After a two-month investigation, they decide that Deputy Calkins should be exonerated from any wrongdoing. He was a deputy for 17 years with an unblemished record. He did nothing wrong that day and nothing that was against professional code. Felipe's family gets a letter stating that Deputy Calkins has been cleared. 72 hours after they received this letter, Terrence Williams goes missing after an interaction with Deputy Calkins. Internal Affairs processes Terrence's car and says that they recovered what they called trace evidence, but they won't reveal what it is to the public. At this point, they bring Calkins in for a recorded interview and they give him a polygraph, which he ends up passing. They keep investigating Calkins as they don't have enough evidence to even fire Calkins, so they keep running down leads. They even put a GPS tracker on his car, thinking maybe if he did do something to these guys, that he would revisit the site where he left them. Based on the GPS records, they identify 12, 12 different areas that they think should be searched. 12 areas seems to be a bit excessive. It's got me wondering if someone tipped Calkins off about the tracker, so he sent the um, internal affairs on a wild goose chase. So aerial searches are done, cadaver dogs are brought in, but nothing is found. So while they're tracking him, they're also looking into his story. Now keep in mind, um, his story is that his interaction with the men were super brief. And he also stated that he had only gotten Terrence's first name. They decide to pull up all dispatch recordings from the day Terrence disappeared. They stumbled upon um, another call from Calkins that totally contradicts his previous story. In this call, Calkins is a is just being a total, total tool. And you can tell that he is mocking Terrence. He says to dispatch, yo, I got this homie G Cadillac off, off, off the side of the road blocking traffic. Him and the dispatch, 
dispatcher laugh about this. Um, and they're, they're just kind of laughing at, at his attempt to sounding like Terrence. And he tells the dispatcher the actual code for an abandoned vehicle. He laughs and says, this person is going to come back looking for it and it's going to be gone. So n not only is he being a douchebag, he is lying again, saying that he just found this vehicle abandoned. 20 minutes later, he calls dispatch again, requesting that dispatch do a background check on a man named Terrence Williams. So obviously, Terrence did give him his last name. 23 minutes after this call, he makes the call for the tow. When Internal Affairs questions him about knowing Terrence's last name, he says, I don't know where I got the last name. So, so then he says, maybe, maybe I found it on some of the paperwork in the glove box. They say, nope, you told us there was no paperwork. The more they question him, the more his story starts falling apart. So they decide to give him another polygraph. This time, they ask different questions, and most of them are pointed at what happened after the car was towed. This time, he fails the polygraph. Calkin, Calkins insists his last interaction with both men was at the Circle K. At this point, he stops cooperating with investigators and never cooperates with them again. He ended up getting fired for noncompliance with rules and regulations, untruthfulness, and conduct, uh, conduct unbecoming of an officer. They still don't have enough information to charge him with any wrongdoing in the disappearance of Terrence Williams or Felipe Santos. Like... This blows my mind because obviously, obviously something happened, but nothing can be proven. There's no bodies. Like, how can you prove something without a body? And I see this so many times in missing person cases, and I know that I've done other stories. Like, the people that you know are guilty, that you know did something, you can't, they can't get charged with anything because there's no body. I, I just, and the fact that this is a police officer, somebody who's supposed to keep you safe, right? See, they're supposed to keep the community safe. And the last interaction either of these men have is with somebody who's supposed to keep them safe mind-blowing. That's all for today, guys. I hope you have a good one, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining, Misfits. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. After all, mystery loves company.